Good morning, CCSC, and thank you, Pastor Jimmy, for that introduction. Uh, I am David Nam, and uh, you can forget about the bit about uh, the basketball, but uh, one thing you should catch, I hope, is uh, I am an aspiring missionary. So my family, my wife Susanna, our two boys, Ethan and Owen, uh, earlier this summer, we went to Taiwan. So we want to serve with Mission to the World at Christ College, which is a Christian liberal arts college in Taipei. So we went for what's called a site visit, which is a pretty big step in the process. Uh, we went to go meet the MTW team that's serving there. Uh, they met us. And after the trip, uh, all of us had to decide together whether we felt like Taiwan was the right place for our family. And I'm happy to report that uh, the trip went very well, so we are now on track to be in the mission field, God willing, by summer 2020, so that's two years from now. Today, I want to share a little bit about our trip to Taiwan. Uh, I also want to share about our family's journey and how God has brought us to this point. But I'm also here to preach from God's Word, and I'm preaching today about missions, so please uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Exodus chapter 1. <clears throat> These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. This is God's word. Let's pause for a minute to uh, turn to the Lord in prayer. Please join me. Uh, Father, we do ask that at this time and in this place and in our hearts, that your word would go forth with authority, that you would give us a vision for your purpose and your plan in this world, and that once again, your spirit would call us and invite us to join in the work that you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, first, as we look at Exodus 1, uh, what did we just read? It's basically a list of the descendants of Jacob. Twelve sons, Joseph and his brothers, with their families, were told 70 people in total. They leave Canaan, the promised land, to go down to Egypt. They get there, and then as the generations pass, uh, the people of Israel multiply and fill the land. That's basically our whole text, and I'll admit that there's not much there by way of detail, significant detail, and you're probably wondering, if you're paying attention, what does this have to do with missions at all? Today, instead of digging into the specific details of this text, what I want to do is pull back a little bit and get a big picture view of what's going on in the flow of the larger biblical story that began in Genesis and continues through the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 1 verses 1 to 7 is a pivotal text in the sense that it is a turning point between Genesis and Exodus. It's a transitional text that connects these two great Old Testament narratives together. 
And the significance I want to draw from our text today comes from these larger narratives. And it comes from the story of the Bible as a whole, the Old and the New Testaments together when we look at the bigger picture of God's plan. So looking at these seven verses in this bigger context, uh, I'm going to make three simple points today. One, God has a mission. Two, God has a plan. And three, God has a purpose. First, God has a mission. Uh, Our topic is missions, but I want to first talk about mission without the S. And let me explain a little bit the difference between those two terms. It can be a little confusing. Uh, To clarify, missions with the S is used as a technical term. Uh, When Christians say missions, it specifically refers to cross-cultural evangelism. Missions is the activity of sharing Jesus across cultural boundaries that would normally separate two different people groups. On the other hand, mission in the biblical story, without the S, is God's activity to rescue and restore fallen creation. Mission is God's plan, which he orchestrates and executes throughout human history. When we talk about mission, the mission is primarily God's. Mission encompasses all of God's saving activity in his creation. So the church, the people of God, participate in God's mission in many, many different ways by the various things that we do, one of which is going on missions. So missions, this element of cross-cultural evangelism, is part of this bigger thing, which is the mission of God. So that's the difference between mission and missions. But let's start with the idea of God's mission. So Exodus 1 reminds us, just by being in the Old Testament, that the mission of God does not begin in Matthew 28, at the end of Matthew's gospel with the Great Commission. The mission of God does not begin after Jesus' death and resurrection when he commissions his disciples to go out and make more disciples. The whole Bible, in fact, is the story of God on a mission. This mission begins in earnest in Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham to leave his home in Haran. At that time, when God called him, God promised to Abraham three things— One, he says, I will make you a great nation. Two, I will give you the land that I'm calling you to, the land of Canaan. And three, I will make you a blessing to the nations. Now, the Old Testament focuses almost exclusively on God's saving work in and among the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The sons of Jacob go down to Egypt There they become this great nation. God rescues them out of slavery through the Exodus. And then he leads them into the promised land where eventually they establish the kingdom of Israel. And this is the foundational story of the entire Old Testament. God's saving work among the Israelites. When we shift to the New Testament, though, through the work of Jesus, salvation extends beyond the Jewish people, beyond the borders of Israel, to the very ends of the earth. In the Old Testament, God's saving work is ethnocentric, focused on one people group. In the New Testament, God sends out the gospel of Jesus Christ across all cultural boundaries, and he obliterates through the cross of Christ 
the barriers that have separated his chosen people from the nations for so long. So this is the story of the Bible. And as we look at the contours of this biblical story, the Old and the New Testament, all at once, I want to emphasize two points, two things. First, it's very clear from the whole structure of the Bible that missions is essential to God's mission. You can't have God's mission without missions, that cross-cultural evangelism. The cross-cultural aspect of the gospel is an essential part. It's a large part of what makes the New Testament something that is distinctively new, something that is different from what was going on in what we call the Old Testament. What that means for us is that in your life as a follower of Jesus and in our life together as a church, there must be some missions component to what we are doing as God's people. So how do we do that? How do we integrate missions as a component into what we're trying to do as a church? One way, obviously, is to partner with missionaries in the mission field, just as Andrew and the Paraguay team went to serve alongside our missionary partners in Paraguay. uh, We have a number of such partnerships. When Jesus says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, we're all collectively meant to obey that. It's just that some of us in the church are called to go. Some of us here are called to stay and send. That's a classic model for thinking about the mission of the church. Senders and goers. We all have a role in the work of missions. But we have to admit, it's easy as the senders to often feel like missions is not something that we do, it's something that they do, the real missionaries out there, over there somewhere. But the reality is that all of our lives have a missions component that goes beyond just sending and partnering with and supporting missionaries in the mission field. The reality is that there is a missions aspect to our life, uh, especially here in Southern California. In Los Angeles, it's very easy and often unavoidable to cross cultural boundaries as we try to share the gospel, as we share the love of Jesus with the people in our lives. At CCSC, the last couple of years, uh, the the guiding vision of our church has been one more for the gospel. Uh, Andrew even used that in his missions testimony. I'm sure you've heard it many times if you've been here a while. One more for the gospel. But one important question we need to stop and ask is, who is that one more that we're always talking about? This summer, the lead series took some steps towards filling in that question. One of the lead seminars was on race, one was on the millennial generation, one was on the LGBTQ community. And if you look at those three seminars, one of the common themes is sharing the gospel across different kinds of cultural boundaries that we encounter. Now, the one more in your life Whoever that may be, may be someone who is just like you in every way, ethnically, socioeconomically. 
They may live in your same neighborhood, attend the same school. They may share the same values as you, even have the same hobbies and interests. And that's great. Commonality makes it very easy to connect and share the gospel with people. Don't stop sharing the gospel with people who are like you, but at the same time, you should realize that there must be some impulse, some concern on your heart to be a blessing to people who are not like you as well because we see from the Bible that missions is essential to God's mission. A second insight that comes from looking at the Old and New Testament together is that this mission is God's. Uh, this is an, an obvious point to make, but it's one that we need to remember. God is the one who has been at work for thousands of years executing his plan of salvation in human history. Long before we came onto the scene, long before we were invited to join in the work God is doing, God has been at work. And we need to remember this because it's easy for us as human beings to develop an inflated sense of self-importance as we join in God's mission. As Susanna and I think about our calling to missions, we both feel very strongly that God has equipped us with certain skills that will be of service to the global church. I'm a New Testament scholar, and one of the pressing needs in many parts of the world is greater access to theological education for the church and for people entering into ministry. Susanna is a speech-language pathologist, and there is similarly great need for her expertise, not only as she provides services to people with disabilities, but also as she advocates for them and works to integrate them into the community of God's people. So a large part of our reasoning as we think about the pros and cons of missions is that there's just a greater need for our degrees and our training in the mission field than there is here at home in the U.S. <clears throat> in my first year at Fuller Seminary, uh, this point was driven home to me. I was still on the fence at that time about whether missions would be plan A, something that we are wholeheartedly pursuing, or simply just plan B, a backup plan. I had the chance to meet a professor from Colombia. Now, this is not the Ivy League school I'm talking about. It's the country, the South American country. In fact, he taught in the infamous city Medellin. And he was a missionary, and he was recruiting students at Fuller to come teach in a missions context, just like him, after we graduated. And one thing that he said really made an impact on me. He said, you know, any seminary job in the United States that you turn down, there will be dozens of other equally qualified candidates willing to take that same job the very next day. But if you're called to go to Colombia like he was, or Tanzania, or let's say Taiwan, and if you don't go, the fact is, no one else will. That made a huge impact on me and encouraged me to uh, set down this path. And Susanna and I both want to use our training, our gifts, the resources God has given us, 
But along the way, we need to remember that this mission is ultimately God's, not ours. God will work through us, we hope, in many different ways, but we know that God will also have to work in spite of us. And we are certain that God will have to continue his work in us, in our hearts. Because yes, Susanna and I want to be missionaries, but at the same time, we are still very much part of the problem in this world. We are part of the fallenness that God is trying to set right in his creation. Susanna and I both need the redemptive power of Christ in our lives just as much as anyone out there that we might happen to serve as missionaries. You know, as Christians, God does give us abilities. He gives us spiritual gifts, legitimate strengths that he intends to use for his kingdom's purpose. But at the same time, he also plans on showing his glory to the world not through our strengths, but through our weakness, through our limitations, even in our greatest failures and defeats. As Americans, we don't really think about that side of the gospel ministry very often because it goes against the grain of our cultural values. A big part of our cultural blindness as Westerners is to think that we are the saviors going out into a world that needs saving, but really, it is God who is doing all the saving, and he's saving us as well. It's God's mission. My second point today is that God has a plan. In the Old Testament, Jacob had 12 sons. Exodus 1 begins, these are the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. But then it only lists 11 sons. And then it reminds us in verse 5, Joseph was already in Egypt. This connects us to the larger narrative of Genesis that comes before it. The story of how Joseph got to Egypt begins way back in Genesis 37, when Joseph has a dream. Joseph was the second youngest of the 12 sons of Jacob. And he has a dream one night that his father, his mother, and his 11 brothers will come to him and bow down before him. In an instance of self-fulfilling prophecy, when Joseph perhaps unwisely shares this dream with his family, this dream provokes his brothers to hate him so much that they sell him to passing slave traders and he makes his way to Egypt as a slave. In Egypt, Joseph endures years, years and years of first slavery and then wrongful imprisonment until one day Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has a troubling dream. Uh, by the providence of God, Joseph is on hand to interpret the dream as a warning from God that seven years of devastating famine lay ahead. And this catapults Joseph to a position at the top of the Egyptian government, and he is charged with preparing all of Egypt for this great famine to come. Years later, in the midst of the famine, Joseph's brothers come to Egypt in search of food, and unbeknownst to them, they bow down before Egypt, before Joseph, and they ask to buy grain. All of this according to God's plan, in fulfillment of that prophetic dream. Now, it's uncontroversial to say that God has a plan, 
And God's plan has a role for you to play. And I would think most of us would guess that God wants us to know about his plan and that he will show us something about our role in it. But as Christians, as we seek to follow Jesus, the practical question that we run up against time and time again is, how much of his plan does he actually want us to know? Because a lot of times it feels like we're walking in the dark. How much of his plan does he want us to know? I think the answer is, he wants us to know enough to be faithful. Enough to be faithful with what he's given us. God never intends to show us the whole script for our life, how it's going to turn out. But he shows us enough so that we can be faithful in taking the next steps in the role that he's assigned. Look at the example of Joseph. God gave Joseph this amazing prophetic dream as a young man. But for years, even decades, the dream made no sense. At times, it would even seem delusional that he would think of himself being exalted to this position of authority. When Joseph was rotting away in an Egyptian prison, that dream didn't help Joseph get out of prison. Along his journey, it didn't help Joseph figure out what steps he needed to take next. But the dream was enough to help Joseph remain faithful during the hard times. And with hindsight, the dream helped Joseph look back on this journey that, brought it, that God had brought him through, look back and appreciate the goodness of God's plan despite all the suffering he had to endure. At the end of Genesis, looking back on these hardships, God, uh, Joseph confidently tells his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So what about us? How does God let us in on his plan for our lives? We may not have visions or the ability to interpret prophetic dreams like Joseph did, but what we do have is God's word. First and foremost, God speaks to his people through scripture, and he shows us in very concrete ways his purpose for this world that he made. And on top of that, as we faithfully read scripture, the Holy Spirit lives in us. He has given us this counselor who prompts us with thoughts, insights, desires, and motives that do not come solely from us. They come, at least in part, from God. And so God does lead us if we are open to it. Up until about nine years ago, I was very closed off to missions. I was a seminary graduate, I was an ordained pastor, a veteran of numerous short-term mission trips. So I valued missions, but it wasn't for me. I was dead certain of that. I would tell anyone I knew that I was not meant to be a missionary. Then in 2010, all of that began to change. I attended a conference that our church hosted uh, to celebrate the 25th anniversary of EAM, one of our longtime missionary partners. One of the major themes of that conference was theological education in Asia. During the prayer time at, that, uh, at the end of that evening, I was praying uh, over at the Artesia campus in the main sanctuary. I still remember it. I was praying for EAM, thanking God for the work that they had done. No thought in my mind that God would ever call me to missions. 
But as I was praying, the thought came to me out of nowhere, definitely not from myself, but from God. As I was praying, I thought to myself, theological education in Asia, I could do that. And furthermore, I should do that. Now, with that one thought, my my life did not change overnight, but it was a huge change of heart that God brought about in a moment. And that thought prompted a conversation with my wife, Susanna, Susanna, and that conversation has led us onto the path that we're on now today. Susanna had a similar experience about four years ago for herself. At that time, our kids were uh, younger, and on many Sundays, we would drive to church and they would fall asleep in the car. I'm sure many of the parents can sympathize with that. So we would take turns. One of us would stay in the car so that they could nap, and the other would go into worship. So one Sunday, it was my turn to wait in the car. And that Sunday, uh, one of our missionaries, HP, happened to be in town, and she was uh, sharing a missions update in the service. Now, at that point, we were still in the very early stages of thinking about missions seriously. And I think I was a little bit further along Uh, than Susanna was. Susanna was a little bit less sure about God's calling, and she needed some confirmation from God. Now, that day, our boys happened to sleep through the entire service, and when Susanna came out, she was very excited. She said to me, you'll never believe it. HP shared an update, and she challenged CCSC, our church, to raise up and send four homegrown missionaries. And Susanna said to me, I think she was talking about us. Now, again, nothing happened overnight. It took us many more years to get from there to here. But Susanna still remembers that moment so vividly as a time when God was leading us in our journey. That's a big part of our story and the journey God has brought us on. But what about you? God leads all of his people to join in his mission. He wants all of us to participate. You know, one of the big needs at CCSC every year is for people to serve as small group leaders. Every year we need more and more small groups. And thankfully every year there are new leaders who step up And many of them never dreamed that they would ever serve in that kind of role. And yet, faithfully, they do. Similarly, two weeks ago, five elder candidates were announced for our church. I'm sure that uh, none of these brothers, when they joined CCSE years ago, set out thinking, I'm going to serve faithfully, and years from now, I'm going to be an elder of this church. The thought probably never occurred to them. I'm sure some of them are wondering to themselves how God has brought them here, where they are now elder candidates. But they got here because they were open to God. They were faithful to follow God's leading step by step as he called them into service. And now God is using them greatly for his purpose. And that's the same for all of us. And that leads me to my third point. Uh, God has a purpose. God has a purpose in all that he's doing in his mission. And simply put, God's purpose is to bless his people. 
God wants to bless us. When the 70 descendants of Jacob arrive in Egypt, God's blessing is on them. Over a number of generations, God makes them fruitful and they multiply. They become this great nation. God's blessing is clearly on them. But that is not the whole story of the Bible. We left off our scripture reading in verse 7. But if we continue on to verse 8, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Ominous words. This new king is suspicious of these foreigners living in Egypt, so he enslaves them to build his cities and to work his fields. The the Israelites endure hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt until finally God sends Moses. With ten signs and wonders, God delivers his people out of Egypt and brings them into the promised land, promised to Abraham many centuries before. More than any other event in the Old Testament that we can look at, the Exodus points us directly to the cross of Christ, where Jesus delivers us from our own slavery to sin and death. Both the Exodus in the Old Testament and the cross of Christ in the New point us to a spiritual truth that is close to the heart of God's mission. This is a spiritual truth that we must grasp if we are ever to join in God's mission in a meaningful way. And it's this. God's purpose is to bless. But if we are to be used as a blessing to others, we must embrace suffering. We cannot be a blessing without embracing suffering. To use the phrase that Jesus did, we must take up our cross. Last weekend, uh, Susanna and I had the privilege of hosting a missionary family from Jordan on their home assignment. They were here in LA uh, for a few days visiting some of their partner churches. Now, we're a family of four. We live in a two-bedroom apartment in Pasadena, so obviously there's no guest room. There are no extra beds in our place to host a family of five, three kids. This family could easily have found more comfortable lodging for their time in Los Angeles. And Susanna and I sometimes wonder, like, you know, why did they accept our invitation at all, you know? They know where we live. But I have to think, they accepted our invitation because they simply had a desire to bless us. They endured our tiny apartments so that they could share extended time of fellowship with us and share with us their story. And I have to say, it was such a blessing for us. But one of the things that they shared during their time with us is how their oldest child has been a frequent target of bullying at a local school in Jordan. Now, this is obviously saddening to hear about anyone's kid, But it especially touches a nerve for us because we're thinking about putting our own kids into a local school when we get to Taiwan. The bullying is an issue that uh, they're still trying to resolve. Um, You know, bullying is never an easy issue, and it's even more difficult when you're working cross-culturally. But in the meantime, as they're working at it, Uh, This issue has also forced them to re-examine their theology of suffering. 
What do they believe about God's purpose for them and how he calls them to suffer? They went into missions fully expecting to suffer. They knew at that time that their children would have to suffer as well in certain ways. There would be costs for their children going overseas. But a pressing question that we have to ask in any ministry is what price are we willing to pay? What price are we really willing to pay for the sake of the gospel? To serve in missions, and really to serve God in any way, even here at home, we have to count the cost. We have to consider realistically what costs are we willing to endure for the sake of the gospel. A large part of our site visit to Taiwan was trying to answer that very question, trying to see if we could see ourselves living there with the specific challenges that Taiwan brings. You know, all things considered, Taiwan is a very comfortable place to live. It's a cosmopolitan city in Asia. And so we won't be roughing it by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, one of the missionaries there joked, you know, we're not mud hut missionaries. It's actually a pretty good life, all things considered. And it's true. Christ College has faculty housing available at a very low subsidized price. They have clean, spacious four-bedroom apartments. And these apartments even have in-unit laundry, which will be an upgrade for our family. And yes, uh, moving to Taiwan, we'll have to leave behind our car-centered life, uh, which we love so much. But you know, Taipei has a world-class public transit system, so that's something that we'll, get, that we'll get used to, that we'll manage. And I'm sure there are many other hardships that we'll never get used to, like the humidity or the bugs. But those are, all things considered, minor nuisances. But in seriousness, in moving to Taiwan, uh, the biggest challenge that we expect to face, at least early on, will be learning the language. Without the language, uh, ministry is next to impossible, well, certain types of ministry, and everything, just daily life is just that much harder. When we were there, we went out one day as a family, and Susanna, Susanna and I wanted to take our kids to this state-of-the-art seven-story children's museum that we had heard rave reviews about from just about everyone we had talked to. But instead of that museum, we ended up uh, paying for an overpriced tiny Peppa Pig exhibit. And we ended up there because we didn't speak Mandarin. We were at the right ticket window, but not knowing the language, we didn't know what we were actually paying for. Now, that kind of experience, if you're just a traveler visiting for a few days, might be funny or charming. But it can be frustrating and humiliating if that's your daily experience as an immigrant in a foreign land. As missionaries, many of our biggest challenges will be exactly what any immigrant faces. But where immigrants have the option to keep to themselves, seek out their own people, preserve their language and customs in their home, our task, our first task as missionaries will be to immerse ourselves in the host culture, adapt ourselves to it as much as we possibly can, and learn from the people of Taiwan as we live with them and learn to love them. 
many of the other challenges that we expect to face as a family will be exactly the same as things that we would face if we were here in the U.S. Only the missions context will magnify all of these issues. Missionaries have concerns about money. Missionaries worry about where to send their kids to school. Missionaries have to work at their marriages. But the missions context places additional stress on all of these areas of daily life. These are all sorts of challenges that we fully expect to face, that we are counting the cost. And I'm sure there are many other things that we can never foresee. But even as we think about these challenges and hardships that lie ahead, ultimately, the purpose of missions is not to suffer. It's not to suffer, but to serve. God wants to use us to be a blessing to the nations. But that will never happen if we, as a family, are not willing to embrace the suffering that goes along with that calling. We will never be used by God if we're not willing to inconvenience ourselves, adjust our lifestyle, and ultimately make some painful sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. But let me point out to you, that's not just true for me, an aspiring missionary. It's true for all of us here who intend to live for Jesus and to follow him. It's true for anyone who wants to answer the call to join in God's mission, whether here or abroad, and win one more for the gospel. Let me close with that. There is more I could share, but I'm going to end with a, a short video. It's, it's not much. It's just a collage that uh, Susanna's iPhone made of some uh, pictures and videos that we took while we were there. Hopefully it will get you, give you a sense of what Christ College is, about our time in Taiwan, and most importantly, I hope it will uh, encourage you to uh, keep us in your prayers as we continue our journey. All right, let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, you are a gracious God and a God who works salvation in human history throughout the world to redeem and restore your creation. Thank you, God, that the gospel goes forth, that it has reached our hearts. And with this good news of the saving work of Jesus, we pray, Father, that we would hear and accept your invitation to join in your mission. It is our privilege and our greatest honor as children of the living God to share in your work. May each of us here labor faithfully to win one more for the gospel. I pray, Father, for your leading upon us, that you would show us specifically your plan and that we would have the faith to answer. In Jesus' name, amen.